0: This morning, here in Genesis chapter eleven, verses or Je- Genesis chapter eleven, verses one through nine, mm-hmm. and I think I just realized I put on the top of your sheet the wrong chapter. So ignore that, cross it off. Uh, that should be chapter eleven, verses one through eleven, uh, the Tower of Babel. Um, every year we have this special Sunday dedicated to focusing on what God says about creation. It's not something that pops up once or twice in Scripture it runs throughout it, uh, runs throughout, and forget, in fact, it begins with it, it ends with it. Um, We have this time because a decade or so ago, some uh, clergy began a project to uh, give honor to Charles Darwin for his uh, idea, I don't even think it qualifies as a theory, frankly, Um, his idea of naturalistic evolution, things came into their into to being all on their own, apart from any work of God. And so they established Darwin Sunday, but then they wanted to get other religions involved, and so they call it Darwin Weekend. And I want us to make sure we understand what Scripture says. The better you know the Word, the better you will praise God for who He is and what He's done. The better protected you're going to be. The better you're going to be able to evangelize um and uh, edify the saints. Well, we're especially going to focus on language because of what happens here, what we learn about here. Believers in evolution, notice how I said that, believers in evolution, uh, they say that language evolved over time. And despite their assertion that evolution is science, it is not. Uh, true science involves Observation, testing, uh, repeating things, and correcting it. Uh, all that's available are, is are, are fossils uh, in, in the, the rocks. So then we have questions. How did they get there? How did life begin? Fossils, rock formations, various levels and strata, they cannot answer those questions how did it get there, and how did life begin? But you are told, and you have been told, and in our culture for a good century now, we have been told the rocks speak, and no, they don't. It's just rock and petrified bone. That's all it is. And so then it's a matter of what your controlling assumptions are. Another word for this is your presupposition. Your starting point what you believe or don't believe because it's a bone. It's rock formation. That's all it is. How did it get there? How long has it been there? How how old is the earth? These are all uh, based on your assumptions. So what's the evolutionist's starting point? The evolutionist's starting point is there is no God. There is just this natural Material world, And as a result, ultimately, human beings are no more special than earthworms, orangutans, your dog Fido, or Morris the cat. Now, I'm dating myself there with that reference, aren't I? Evolution is a belief system. And I would add, it is a very poor belief system. And I've covered that in previous Creation Sundays. So how did human language begin? Where do the various and different human cultures come from? What about the idea of race, external physical differences? How did that come to be? Well, God has told us in his word, the Bible. Now, let me be really clear. The Bible is not a textbook on biology. The Bible is not a mathematical textbook. It doesn't teach all the details and intricacies of astronomy, geography, or history. It is God's word written. And so whatever God says here in addressing or touching on anything It is 100% true. So when God talks about biology, geography, astronomy, etc., 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 we know, you should know, it is 100% true. Not because you believe it. It is 100% true because God has said it and spoken. So what's happened up till chapter 11 here of Genesis that you need to understand? I'd go back to Genesis chapter 6. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to give kind of a a bird's eye tour overview of this. Uh, By by the time of Genesis 6, generations of humanity uh, got to the point where everyone was devoted to to sin and wickedness. There God says that he saw that every thought and intent of the heart was evil. And so God told Noah in Genesis 6 By the way, think about this. With however many thousands and thousands of people were present then, Noah was the only, the only righteous man alive at that time. Noah, I want you to build an ark. I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. So Noah did that. God caused two of every animal to come into the ark so that they would be preserved. And God caused a worldwide flood. To destroy every living thing on the earth. a Not a local flood, not in that area, but a worldwide flood. And I've addressed that in different creation Sundays. God saved Noah and his family. After about a year, the flood began to drain. The ark settled and Noah and company left the ark. Let's now go to chapter 9. Chapter 9. What did God command Noah and his descendants to then do? Chapter 9, verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and look at those last four words, and fill the earth. They were to scatter across the entire world. And by doing so, exercising their God-given ability, being made in God's image, they would rule every part of the earth. And they were to voluntarily do this. Obey the Lord in this way. Then we come to chapter 10. And you read chapter 10, and it's one of those, huh, sections, because it has genealogies. And I'm not going to read it. Well, we read about Noah's genealogy. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We read about Japheth's sons in two to five, and so on. I'm going to draw your attention now to chapter 10 and verse 25. Shem's line. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Pileg, for in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. From verse 26 down, we learn about Joktan's descendants. And look at verse 31. These were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages in their lands, according to their nations. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. Chapter 10 tells us who settled where. Chapter 11 tells us how it happened that they spread through the earth and why they were spread through the earth. And it happened during that time of these two boys, Peleg and Joktan. They started to the spread through the earth. That brings us into chapter 11, verse 1. The whole earth had one language and one speech. They had the same language and the same culture and the same external appearance. We would say today they were of the same race. And then in the beginning of verse 2, it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. So they started to spread through the earth until they came to the, the bountiful plain of the land of Shinar. That brings us then to number one. In your outline there. We see how people disobeyed. And rebelled against God. The second part of verse 2. Tells us how. They found a plain. In the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. Instead of spreading through the earth. What did they do? They settled. They settled down. A very fertile plain. Plain between the the Tigris and the Euphrates River. Uh, Lots of ability to, to grow and spread out in an ideal place to live. Hold your place if you need to and look back to chapter 10 and verse 5. Chapter 10, I'm sorry, verse 8. We hear who their leader most likely was during this time, a fellow by the name of Nimrod. Chapter 10, verse 8. Cush begat Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And that doesn't mean he was a believer. It just means in the presence of God. More than likely what's meant by he was a mighty hunter is a hunter of men, which is not a good thing. Verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Calneh in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, and so on. So we there learn what who their leader most likely was. While in Shinar, or Shinar, appreciated how that was pronounced today. Well done, got the Hebrew right. They continued to develop ingenious things for living. Now all the way back in chapter four, you could write down chapter four, verse twenty-one and twenty-two. All the way back in chapter 4, they had music. They had metal craftsmanship. These prehistoric Stone Age people came up with this stuff. How? Because they were made in God's image. I will talk more about that this afternoon. But here in Shinar, they continued developing ingenious things for human life, and they called it home. We read here in verse 2, the last part of verse 2, they dwelt there. Was that obeying God? No. He told them to spread through the whole earth, but they didn't. They stopped. They dwelt there. And so number two, instead of ruling and dominating all the earth, they sought to rule themselves and God. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone. They had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Some characteristics here of their rebellion. First thing we see in verses 3, 4, and 5 is that it was a unified rebellion. It was a unified rebellion. They said, come, let us. They saw where they were. They remembered what they were supposed to do and what they had started to do in generations past. Several generations had passed by this point. And they determined together, maybe they had a vote let's do this. Come, let us. And we read this three times. Come, let's bake bricks. Come, let's build a city and a tower, and let's do this. A second characteristic of their rebellion, verse 3, it was creative rebellion. Creative rebellion. Let's bake bricks. Why do they have to do that? In the plain of shine, I remember, it's very fertile. There were no big stones available to them. So they had to create a way. We want to make a city. We want to make a tower. How are we going to do that? I want you to consider this. This is the image of God at work. And by the way, they took that ability to think and process, to rationalize as well as to communicate. God-given ability. Your dog can't do that. They cannot do that. If animals could do that, the rings are in big trouble because their dozens of cows are going to collaborate. How can we get out of here? How can we take over? But they can't do that. They're instinctive instinctive creatures. We, however, can. A plan. Let's do this. How are we going to do that? We don't have any rocks. They see their little boys playing in the dirt. You ever make dirt balls when you're a kid? They see after it's left out in the sun, it kind of got hard. How can we hold these things together? And through a, a process of trial and error, they figured out how to bake bricks. And you and I might say, oh my goodness, that's just silly. Okay, how do you build something? You're going to say, well, I just go to Home Depot and I buy the supplies. They didn't have that back then. The ingenuity, the creativity there, taking that God-given ability to assess and deliberate, to figure out these things. It's just really amazing. If you're still unconvinced, go live outside for a couple years. See how ingenuity what kind of ingenuity you can get and creativity. A third characteristic of their rebellion, verse 4, it was an organized rebellion. We will build a city. It was an organized rebellion. So they have minds, God-given minds, but sin, sin always enslaves minds. Sin causes rebellion in minds. And so they took that God-given ability to plan and that God-given ability to organize, and instead they made a plan and an organized rebellion against God. Instead of spreading through the earth, they intentionally planned to stay in one place. Now, a note of caution: as kind of a rabbit trail, we who live in the country would look at a passage like this and say, "See." God does not want people to live in cities. He judged them. We shouldn't do that. We need to stop ourselves and think this is not right because what was Jerusalem called? The city of the great king. And where will Jesus reign someday when he comes to the earth? In the city of Jerusalem So it's not cities, and it's not towers in and of themselves. It's the fact that they did this in rebellion against God. Another characteristic, verse 4, it's a hostile rebellion. A hostile rebellion. We read here that they want to build a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now, these are also called... Ziggurats, Z I G G U R A T, and that is from an Assyrian Babylonian or Akkadian word, uh, Zakuratu, meaning a pinnacle or a mountaintop. So, what they are doing, remember, they don't have mountains around. Where are they? They're in Iowa, it's flat, they can see a long distance, and so what they are going to do, they are going to build a man made mountain. Zen, zakuratu, this mountain. 25 of these exist today. You can look it up online. They've tried to rebuild some of, the, some of these things. So what, what do they look like? They're rectangular. I bet some kids can draw some of these. So it's in the shape of kind of a square rectangle. And they're different levels. It's not a pyramid. Some believe that the pyramids came from this. That may have. That may be so. They had different levels. And then around that level, they would build um, a way to to, to go around there, okay? Like um, an ascent so they could walk up and down. I want you to put yourself in their times. In fact, I bet some of you have done this. When you have gone into a big city for the first time, and what are you struck by? You look up at these tall buildings, and you instantly scream out to everyone, I'm a tourist! Because you're looking up at, wow, look at how big those are. And everybody else is walking by, tourist. <laughs> you can tell. Us flatlanders we look at this is incredible wow Imagine that's the only thing human made that big That height would impress themselves Now why did they say let's make a tower whose top is in the heavens Who dwells in heaven? God does. And so what they are doing is they are elevating themselves. This is a visible monument to their rebellion against God. It is a hostile, in your face rebellion against God. It's aggressive, it's confrontational, it's provocative, it's daring, it's shaking the fist. See God? We didn't spread through the earth. We're coming into your territory. We're bringing you down and we're rising up to your level. Kind of remind you of Satan. Remember in Isaiah 14? I will ascend into the Most High, I will be like God. Another characteristic in verse 4 it's a proud rebellion. A proud rebellion. Let us make a name for ourselves, a name for ourselves. If they obeyed God's command to spread to the earth and subdue it, that would have glorified God. Instead of glorifying God, though, they wanted to glorify themselves. By this time, death was a regular experience. Not only from chapter 5, but very fresh in their memory was the flood. Very fresh in their memory. And they had seen loved ones and friends die. Unbelievers don't like the thought of death. They want to be remembered. They want to do something that will cause their memory to continue and to last forever. This is an act of proud rebellion. Last, this is direct rebellion, verse 4. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They would stay in one place instead of spreading to the earth. They wanted to be safe and secure in their community. Safe and secure in their culture. They kept God out of any discussion. Because they thought they knew what was best. I jokingly say that I'm a homebody. I don't like to travel, which is ironic because I travel a fair amount. But it's true. I love being home. They got to that point and they should have kept going. But it was direct rebellion. Direct rebellion against God. Where was God in their thoughts? Where was God in their plans? Where was God in their goals? Where was God in their daily lives? They kicked him out. They replaced God with themselves. This tower showed that it was them. They're the ones who ruled. They rule themselves and they rule God. Removing the difference between God and men. Destroying the creator creature Distinction by their ingenuity and their craftsmanship. Look what we have built, God. What did all this involve? Remember, they didn't have their DeWalt rechargeable things available, they had hands and arms, some basic tools. This would have required leadership. It would have required government. It required people to do the planning, designing, people to lead, to teach, and people to work. It would have required language. Let's do this. How are we going to accomplish that? Let's talk through the problem. Now, now that we've established what we're gonna do, we've made the plan, how are we gonna bring it into effect? Does anybody have any ideas? They talk, they discuss it among themselves. Well, I can do this. Well, how did they know that they can do that? That individual told them. They talked through it and discussed it. The ability to communicate thoughts, ideas, and plans was essential to this they used the god given gift of language to rebel against god and disobey him so how did god respond verses 5 through 9 he judged the disobedient and rebellious let's listen to god's assessment the lord verse 5 the lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. We see here in God's assessment how the God of of heaven's infinite greatness. This is the God of heavens. That's your blank there. The God of heaven's infinite greatness. We see this from this expression, the Lord came down. His infinite greatness in comparison with humanity is put in human terms to help us understand it. Did God actually physically come down? No, why? Because because God is the infinite and perfect spirit. This is an anthropomorphism. It's describing something about God, something who he is or what he's done in human terms so that we can understand it. And what was God's assessment? I'm going to read from a great statement. I couldn't put it better, and so I'm just going to quote it. God saw a tiny tower conceived by a puny plan and attempted by a pint-sized people. The God of heaven who fills creation. Came down, Hold your place here. And I want us to see where this idea comes up again in Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Do not read or think of this expression in Genesis 11, God came down as if God's the heavenly grandfather. And he hears some, wood, uh, some construction going on. I wonder what's going on. I better go down and find out. That's not what's going on there. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break. See that there again? Let us. (laughs) Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. And what's God's response? That alleged great-grandfather in the sky who sits unknowing of what's going on. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet... I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree, the Lord has said to me. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. These nations who rebel, I will give the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. Back to Genesis chapter 11. The God of heaven's infinite greatness. He sees... Verse uh, 5, the sons of men. I'm sorry, verse... Lost my place. Yeah, verse 5, the sons of men. This is pointing to their frail engineering. We look at what people make and we think, wow, that's amazing, that's huge. And God... Laughs. Because he created everything in how many days? By what effort? How much energy did he lose and expend? None. He simply spoke. Second, verse 6, we read about the righteous God's perfect assessment. The righteous God's perfect assessment, indeed. He says, they have blatantly obeyed. The people are one. They have blatantly disobeyed. I'm sorry. They have blatantly disobeyed. The people are one. They're united in their disobedience and in their rebellion. They all have one language. These people have used what I have given them. Language. Used what I have given them for wicked purposes. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will will be withheld from them. God is is not saying here, oh, I'd better act because otherwise they will pass me and will be stronger. No, he's saying this. If allowed to continue, they won't change their ways. They will continue in their disobedience. If things continue as they are, they themselves will not change their ways. They'll keep going in this direction. They will continue in disobedience. And so God's response, verses 7 through 9. Verse 7. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Here we read how God miraculously, that's your blank, God miraculously caused them to immediately speak different languages. We read here at the beginning of, what are the first three words we read in verse 7? Come, let us. Does that sound familiar? Now we, we, we read that and we think, oh, the Trinity. No, stop. What did these rebellious people say three times? Come, let us. Come, let us. Come, let us. And then what does the one in heaven say? He says, and this is not so much really uh, an evidence of God's Trinitarian person in the Old Testament. You have to go to the New Testament for that. We at best would see maybe some shades and glimmers. This is a statement of his majesty, his being above, his majestic transcendence. In contrast to these puny little human beings. Come, let us do this. Let us confuse their languages. God immediately split them into different language groups so that they couldn't understand each other. I love having fun with my daughter and my good friend Mark Perry, who's a missionary down in Chile. When they're around... And I love to intentionally make my Spanish sound really, really bad. And that doesn't take a lot of work. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard to them. Stop! No! No! I took two years of Spanish in my Español y muy mal. It's very bad. It takes a long time to learn a language, doesn't it? It didn't happen here. They instantaneously, they didn't instantaneously learn a new language. They instantaneously had a different language. God changed the language that they spoke, and think about that. Some languages are written left to right, some right to left, some in vertical columns. Some have guttural sounds. Some are smooth. Some are rapid. Some are slower. Some have this kind of thing. And God immediately changed their language into a different language. So instead of this united group using God-given language to work together in all these different things, they suddenly, just like that, Started speaking different languages. That means they couldn't continue doing the most basic everyday things. Much less build and plan. Remember those two brothers, Peleg and Joktan. Maybe working together. Peleg says, "Hey, can you go grab me the skill the, the circular saw, please?" Joc Tan says No, that's not a quote. <laughs> but like, but like, what in the world? And Joktan says, translated, what in the world on his part? And they cannot communicate. Their unity is smashed. Their ability to work together, it's gone. It's gone. And it was a miracle. Immediate. Can you imagine not only the confusion, but the fear? The fear? We're so used to multitude, lots of different languages. There was one language, verse 1, and then suddenly a bunch of the different languages. The fear. They thought They were God, but God showed who was God. Second, verse 8, God providentially, he providentially caused them to spread to the earth, verse 8. So the Lord scattered them abroad, and from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. God didn't supernaturally spread them throughout the earth. What did God supernaturally do? He caused them immediately to start speaking a different language. But because of that, by changing their languages, that caused them to have to separate from one another. Buy their languages and go elsewhere. God didn't supernaturally, uh, like Philip in the book of Acts, pick them up and then drop them off in, what was it, a Zotus or something like that. God didn't do that with these different new languages. They did this on their own, as it were. But it happened because God changed their language. And so that's why we read, the Lord scattered them abroad. And then verse 9 Therefore, its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. God humbled the proud. What does Babel mean? And you might say, well, Babel means like talking a lot. No, that's spelled B-A-B-B-L-E, right? This is an Akkadian word. Akkadian was a language before uh, Babylonian. And Babel means the gate of God. But it sounds a lot like the Hebrew word Balal, which is confusion. And so this place that was the gate of God, it became known instead as the gate of God, it became known instead as a place of confusion. As one man said, Babel, the gate of God, Has instead become Babelville. Some conclusions we need to learn from this passage here. Number one language is part of being made in God's image. Because of language, you can do verse six, you can make a proposal. They propose, you can communicate plans. Put on your thinking cap. Have we ever done that as Oral Bible Church? Have we ever done planning? We sure have. Imagine doing planning without language. Through language, we can communicate ideas to each other. It just says in verse 7, so that they may not understand one another's speech. With language, you can cause yourself to be understood by another person. With language, you can not only communicate plans and ideas, but you can accomplish goals. In verse 6, he says that now that they can do this. You can make a plan, you can communicate that plan, and then you can do it. Language did not happen naturally, as evolutionists say. The basic idea that evolutionists have is that over millions of years, ancient humans moved step by step from an unstructured animal grunts to Shakespeare. And I'm not much of a Shakespeare fan. But Shakespeare is kind of held up as you know the, the heights of English literature. Romeo, Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? I've only used Shakespeare once in my life, really, in a practical sense, and that was that. And I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to. When we had all the kids at home, Ashley was sleeping in. She needed to get up. And so I thought, I'm going to be creative. I got my long 10-foot extension ladder. I went on the outside. It's the summertime and the windows are open. And she just had her, uh, the screen there. Quietly put it up. I looked in, saw that she was sleeping, and I said, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? <laughs> the only time I constructively used Shakespeare. But I didn't say, oh, ooga booga. You know, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Evolutionists say that's how language came to be. No, that is not the case fact, one of their own, an atheist by the name of Bertrand Russell, very famous guy in the 1900s, wrote a lot of books, he said this, No matter how eloquently a dog may bark, he cannot tell you his parents were poor and honest. Number two, there are different languages because of what God did at the plain in Shinar. Some languages are from our perspective, very difficult, but some are very simple. Now, where would you put English on the, the scale of simple to difficult? Well, we'd probably say, well, it's simple. Try telling that to somebody who's trying to learn English. It's a very difficult language. But you have to think about this. Children, by the billions everywhere, all children learn to speak at the same speed as other children, no matter how difficult the language might be. Why is that? Language is, we would say, innate. It's built in. It's a pre-programmed result of being made in whose image? God's image. And so, though languages may vastly, greatly differ from one another, they all have nouns, and verbs, and then you can communicate intent and thought and feeling and so on. Number three, as people spread through the earth and became disconnected from one another as a result of the Babel incident, they established different ways of living, and this is described by this word here culture. Culture. Culture is just the outworking of the human heart. Every culture has clothing and family units, eating time, government, technology. And you might try to say, well, what about those people in deepest, darkest, name your continent, that that don't have skill saws? That's not technology. No, but they have technology of their own that they developed. It's technology. This doesn't mean that culture is neutral or and this is what would get me in hot water it doesn't mean that all cultures are equally good because it's the outworking of what the human heart and the outworking of human heart is expressed by speech and actions and what do we know about the human heart from scripture it is deceitful it is desperately wicked The only reason there is beneficial things done in the world is because of what we call God's common grace. He causes the sun and the rain to shine and the the righteous and the unrighteous. But the fact is that the, the more a society and culture throws off and rebels against God, the fact is... That the less of God's common grace is present. And you need scripture to support that. Romans 1, verses 18 to 32, where we read at least three times there, where they didn't want to let God, what do we read three times? God gave them over. And so, by the, to, to do the, the lusts of their heart and the wickedness of their actions, And so you read by the end of it that they call evil good and they call good evil because they have rejected the true God. The longer any society and culture continues to throw God off, the more God will let them go their way in judgment. Number four, People's different external appearances, and the word here for that is race. People's different external appearances or race is a providential result of God's work at Babel. It amazes me. I haven't heard this recently, but some have said that uh, uh, the the sons of Ham, especially Canaan, uh, that that is, you know, just God's judgment in some way. And it's seen physically on people. Uh, Hebrew word there, that's a bunch of hogwash, okay? It's not true. Do external differences make one person better or worse than the other? You know, your eyes are kind of wider. and My eyes are kind of narrower. I've got blue eyes, and you have brown eyes, so therefore I'm better than you. You see how silly this is? But yet, in human history, what have people done? Because they look different? What's happening in heaven right now? Write down Revelation 5-9 and you can learn that in heaven, in heaven, where there's no sin, in heaven right now, in Revelation 5-9, we read how those who have been redeemed by God, by Christ's blood, every tribe and tongue and people and nation are praising God, accepted by Him, and loving Him. So, Never, never evaluate someone by what they look like. Never. James 2.1, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And again, I'd recommend that you read that American Council statement on racism. Last number five. Though mankind has spread through the earth and done much to subdue it, they almost always give themselves the glory and they use it for their own purposes. What are new college buildings, um, hospitals, post offices? Are they named after the Lord Jesus Christ? Give him the glory. No. Who are they named after? The builder, some famous person, and they will be remembered. Christian, God made you in his image. He's given you language. Use that to glorify him in what you say and how you say it. Our goal is not to sustain a human culture. That is not the church's goal. Our goal is to please Christ. And that means taking the good news to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and calling them, saying to them, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who's given you this ability to speak. You must trust in him and rely on